All information contained in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. You should consider the appropriateness of this information with regards to your individual objectives, financial situation and needs. Welcome to Sharing More Than The Sheets, a podcast to help you and your partner make better financial and lifestyle decisions so that you can both focus on the things that you love. I'm your host, Michael Curry, financial planner, green thumb, husband, and just dad. Putting in the hard yards to work towards an end goal is normally easier said than done. And sometimes there are different ways to achieve certain goals. Achieving a goal can be so satisfying that it either makes all the hard work worthwhile or it just keeps you thirsty and wanting more. Today, I am so excited to be on our 52nd episode, it's our one year anniversary, and to have a very special guest, former swimmer and current CEO of Generation Life, Grant Hackett with us. Grant, thank you so much for making the time. No worries. Thanks for having me on, Michael. Yeah, no, it's an absolute pleasure. I've been wanting to talk about this topic for such a long time because, you know, I as an adv- as a financial advisor, we work with clients, we work with um, a lot of couples, and I talk to them about their goals and investing for the future and working hard for the future. And at the same time, you know, my son, he plays basketball and he wants to be really, he's only eight years old, but he wants to do well in basketball and do great things. And I always talk to him about putting in the hard yards to be able to achieve something in the long run. So, I sort of thought these two topics really tie in together really well. And um, I guess the perspective that you are talking from as well is from somebody that has literally been there and done those things. Because I mean, I know the Olympics is what everyone knows you as, but I mean, there's the Commonwealth Games, there's all these different things and gold medalists, Silver medalist, um, was it, is it seven medals, I think, that you've won through the Olympics? Yeah, seven medals from the Olympics. Uh, I like the three gold ones. The other colours I'm not a big fan of, if I'm being completely <laughs> honest. That's kind of my mindset. But you, you, you're spot on when it comes to you know, wanting to achieve in any field. Those underlying principles of success and the behaviours that support that are exactly the same. And I, I've very much found that transitioning from sport to business as well. And and, you know, working with um, other people, it, it was funny. I didn't realize um, at the commencement of my business career, which really kicked off straight after Beijing Olympics back in 2008, just how similar it was and how many things I learned in sport that I could really transfer across into the business world to, to try and have some success there as well. And can I ask as well, like when you, uh, would I be right in saying that leading up to swimming professionally, um, there was a lot, there were a lot of hours that went into your day and your time and a lot of commitment. And I'm sure were there times that you not almost gave up, but probably lost some motivation or just thought, is this even worth it? Or did these thoughts come to you at any point? Oh, most certainly. There, there is no um, success at any level, anyone that you look at that achieves something that doesn't have ups and downs through that process. And I'm certainly no exception. So for me, you know, it started out very, very young in terms of you know, wanting to be a, um, an athlete, you know, I was playing a few sports, but, you know, swimming always took my eye because of the Olympic Games. You know, we have, you know, other championships, as you alluded to, that are quite big, whether it be World Championships, Commonwealth Games, the Pan Pacific Championships, there's a lot of other meets. But obviously, for most sports, um, particularly amateur sport, Olympic Games is that absolute pinnacle. And, and because of the scarcity of the Olympics, once every four years, or in the case of, you know, the Tokyo Olympics, um, once every five years. So, 
it's um it's one of those things where you know you've got to be at your very best and be able to compete under that sort of pressure but the preparation is intense you know from a very young age i was swimming twice a day um doing gym for 90 minutes in the middle of the day the nutrition was so important i was eating nine meals a day uh just to be able to have the energy and the strength um to be able to drive myself through those kilometers that were required to to achieve at that level and it's not just about doing the the 80ks in the pool each week training six days a week with sunday being off or just a small recovery session doing it for 49 weeks of the year i'd only get three weeks off it's a matter of doing it better than everybody else around the rest of the world there's a lot of people out there whether they be in the us or in china or you know some parts of europe that are super competitive in the sport that i was choosing to pursue you've got to be the person who's prepared every day to show up to give your best to literally drag yourself out of the pool because you've exhausted yourself in that session just to push yourself through that next pain threshold to achieve that goal so it's it's one of those things that takes every ounce of dedication and it's not just when you're in the pool everything you're doing in your life has to contribute to that performance and i think that's the real challenge in sport is it's not just about training hard it's about having a whole lifestyle that's conducive to that one moment every four years so I'm guessing there wasn't much ice cream eaten in your teens. <laughs> there wasn't. There was a cheat meal every now and again, but uh, yeah, the magnums weren't uh, a, a ritual for me by, by any means. So yeah, like the, the diet was such a an important part because people say, oh, you must be able to eat anything that you want. And I'm like, yeah, I could, but do you fill a Ferrari up with diesel or do you want to put the premium stuff in it? And, and that's the thing. You want to put the best fuel in it so you have the best performance. And that's, that's like I said, everything you're doing is is stepping towards whether it's what you're eating, whether it's your recovery, whether it's getting to bed early, whether it's not, you know, getting caught up in doing things on the weekend that are going to cost you training on Monday morning. Like every single decision you're making is about that performance. And I don't think anyone could fully appreciate that until they've actually, you know, lived a life to, to that extent that's really centered around one, you know, real goal. Yeah. And the message I'm getting, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but consistency is key. You know, like, um, I mean, I've experienced it myself, even with this podcast show, you know, as of today, is this is our 52nd episode. Um, and uh, starting off, it was the first 10 episodes were easy. It was exciting. I was doing something different. But then it got to a point where, you know, I'm as a financial advisor and busy enough as it is. And it's that consistency of doing it. And for me, I think, my satisfaction was just talking to people regularly that are saying, oh, I love the episodes and, you know, and mm. I'm learning something from it. And for me, that was my kick. That just, that's what's kept me going. But even that, there's times where I'm like really busy and it's it it's putting that time aside and that consistency of putting in those hours per week aside to do certain things to achieve something. So for sure, and for I'm sure. guessing for you, it's the same. Yeah, 100%. Once that sugar spike is gone of excitement when you're doing something new and you're passionate about, it becomes about deliberate practice. It becomes about grinding. It's about, you know, getting, you know, an extra centimeter, an, ex- an extra inch um, closer to that goal. And there is a point where once that excitement is gone um, and the motivation is not as intense, that that's when you start to see the difference between someone that truly wants to um, deliver that outcome and, and achieve success in that particular field that they're pursuing versus the other people that will transition to something else where they'll get that first, like you said, the first 10 weeks are exciting. They'll get that first few months of excitement and they'll think, oh, this is not really working out the way I intended. Um, now I might move into another field. And it's funny, as as most people say, it took me 15 years to be an overnight success. And that's the same in any single field, whether that's sport, whether that's business, whether that's politics, whether, you know, you're becoming a scientist or whatever it might be. It is years and years and years of grinding. 
And people don't understand that 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 the grinding is probably the underlying most important pillar to being able to deliver an outcome. And that consistency that you spoke about is everything. Because it would be so easy to, you know, wake up on that Thursday morning at 4.45 a.m. and not want to go down in the middle of winter to the pool. But then you think about the goal. You think about what your purpose is, what you're setting out to achieve. And you, and often motivation is not something that just pops up in your head. I certainly had no motivation at 4.45. I'm not a morning person by any means. But what I did do was just I was action orientated. So I just put one foot in front of the other. And it's funny, once one foot goes in front, it's actually easier to get the next foot in front. So I found motivation actually came by doing for me through the execution process. So I always recognize that now whenever it's um, it's a tough long day or you're just getting through a set of tasks that you know can be somewhat boring and monotonous, um, you just have to know if you do, you will actually feel the motivation kick in and, and it's often very, very rewarding. And the most rewarding times is the most challenging times when you didn't want to do it, when you were sick, when you were injured, when things weren't going your way and you overcame that adversity and you actually delivered your outcome, your goal, and you sit there so satisfied as an individual. Um, I think there's no better feeling than that. Yeah. And speaking of consistency, if we can move into the uh, topic of investment bonds, because some people have heard about bonds, some people haven't, um, some people have different perceptions of what a bond actually is. Um, some people talk about it, but they really have no idea what they actually are. Um, can For those that haven't heard about bonds, can you briefly just give a bit of an idea as to what they actually are and how they work? Absolutely, because it's, it's not a mainstream product um, that you would, you know, normally uh, would have heard of or understand, particularly as a, as a direct investor. So um, the way I think of an investment bond is exactly like superannuation in the sense it's just a legal structure that you invest through, like a company is, like a trust is, you know, like your own sort of personal tax position, um, you know, that has a different set of rules. And, um, you know, the one thing about the investment bond structure is it's been around for decades and it's a structure that doesn't have too many legislative changes like we've seen in superannuation. Um, and what that structure actually provides you is a maximum tax rate of 30%. The effective tax rate is often much lower. Um, a lot of our funds that sit in a mandate structure now, which is a different investment structure, sit in the teens. So there's a fair tax arbitrage, if you're, particularly if you're a you know, high net worth individual or a person on a high marginal tax rate or you know, even a person who's sitting around 30% plus t- tax rate, obviously, there's an arbitrage in there. And there's a whole heap of ancillary um, benefits around that, such as it's credit protected. Um, there's estate planning benefits. So um, there's a whole heap of nuances and features around that legal structure. And then behind that legal structure, naturally, you have a bunch of investment options, which are the underlying products. And that could be into Australian equities. It could be into a global fund. It could be in fixed interest. It could be in cash. You could construct a whole um, portfolio or just go into a diversified fund. So it's really very similar to superannuation in the sense that it's an after-tax paying structure. So the best way to think of an investment bond is legal structure and been around legislated for a very, very long time has a few nuances such as the max tax rate and you know estate planning features and, and other benefits, tax-free transfers, which is a real big advantage um, inside this structure. And then it's got a whole heap of underlying investment products that will suit your risk profile that you invest in. And obviously, you know, you can continue to invest in that particular bond over time. And the one thing that we're very, very fortunate inside this structure that is there's no limitations. You can put as much as you want into an investment bond versus superannuation now where 
We saw the changes back in 2017 where a whole heap of, you know, caps came into to super and limitations there now. And that was the real reason that we invested quite heavily in this space because of those caps and superannuation. We thought, well, what is the most flexible and the most tax effective vehicle outside of superannuation? And it was investment bonds. And, and since that point in time, you know, we now have, you know, well over 1,500 financial advisors that actively do business with us. We have, um, you know, close to $2 billion worth of funds under management compared to, you know, four years ago that was sitting at closer to, to six to $700 million worth of funds under management. So you can see the growth that we've had in this space and, you know, people are getting a lot more educated in it. And to your point before, Michael, people's perception of this structure um, is very, very different depending on who you're talking to. So if you talk to an older financial advisor, they might say, oh, they, they were expensive, they had limited investment options, and it's like, no, we've done a whole heap of innovation there now. They're very, very cost-effective. Um, there's a lot more investment options um, in there now, and the returns are much better, and even the tax arbitrage is greater than what they were before. So, you know, it's really a time where investment bonds have had a serious amount of innovation and have certainly come back on the radar because of the legislative changes in other after-tax paying products such as superannuation. And as far as tax is concerned, if we can sort of touch on that topic and talk about how it's more tax effective, for example, compared to investing just in shares or in a managed fund, for example. Because to some people, it, it takes a bit of time to sort of get their head around it or some people don't really understand from a tax perspective, how it works. And um, if you can also touch on that, the, the rule, the 125% rule as well, because again, when we talk about consistency, mm-hmm. that's sort of what comes to mind straight away for me. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the most basic way to think of the tax um, without without confusing people, because you, know, you can get into all sorts of areas of, of, of tax, even doing your own personal tax returns, and it can get quite complex and intimidating. So there, there's a maximum tax rate of 30%. Um, you never pay that full 30% unless you're sitting in cash because if you're in you know, an equity product that's got franking credits, um, obviously you get the airbacks from that. So your effective tax rate can sit between 23 to 27%. Um, we have a unique set of tax rules within the investment bond, such as we can offset a capital loss against income, where normally as an individual, you have to carry that loss forward until you have a capital gain and then you can offset it at that point in time, which can be held for many, many years where we can um, utilize these offsets in any given financial year. So there's another tax advantage that comes in there and then that can drop the effective tax rate below 20%. So anybody whose average tax rate is above that of what the underlying investment that they're looking at inside the investment bond, there's an automatic tax arbitrage. And obviously, the longer you hold that asset, there's going to be the compounding effect. Um, so a good way of um, probably explaining that in real terms is, is if you had a, um, an investment that was a dollar, went to a dollar ten, you pay the tax in us, maybe a dollar 8.5 is reinvested after the tax for argument's sake. Yet if you did that in your own name, um, the, the after tax return could be a dollar seven point something. So naturally, if you're doing that every single year, um, you're going to end up with a, a much, much higher capital value over time. We do all the mathematics um, for investors, for financial advisors, particularly for, for new financial advisors that come to us with a client proposition that say, hey, they're thinking about um, this investment strategy. We want to look at the investment bond for that. This is the person's personal situation, what they're paying in their overall tax position. Um, this is where they're at this stage in their working life. Can you do some analysis for us and calculations on that and see what the after-tax return actually looks like 
given we'll hold the investment over this period. So, and if it works, we say, fantastic, this is a great arbitrage um, for your client. If not, um, we say, don't do it. Um, you're better off going directly because we don't want to get into a position where we know someone was better off doing an investment directly versus doing it through the investment bond structure. There's a massive integrity issue there. Um, the other point that you touched on, Michael, was the 125% rule. So what you can do with an investment bond, the initial investment, you can start off with as much as you want. And so if you want to put you know $10,000 in or if you want to put $10 million in, you can do that. From the years there on, you can put in a maximum of 125% of what you put in the year before. So if you put in $10,000, obviously the next year you can put in $12,500. And so the reason um, that the ATO um, and the legislation states that is because once you hit 10 years, there's no personal tax liability payable for, for an individual. So therefore, what they wanted to stop is to make sure that if you put a dollar in on, on day one and then you got to 9.9 years for argument's sake, then you put in $10 million, then all of a sudden you're in this sort of tax-free environment. So they, they wanted to make sure that they curtailed that to an extent. Um, what happens with a lot of our clients, because you know sometimes we're all very, very busy, um, you know, putting 125% in or a percentage of that. You don't have to put in the whole 125%. If you wanted to put in 10%, you can do that as well. Um, but obviously, every year you think, oh, is that anniversary date come around? And if you miss it, obviously, 125% of zero is zero. So you can't put any more into that investment bond. You can start another investment bond. But if you're at year six and you wanted to continue and invest in that, and you know that you're going to get to this tax-free threshold from um, the end of year 10 onwards, um, that would be very disappointing. So a lot of our underlying investors now actually attach a regular savings plan where they direct debit, you know, whether it be $500, whether it be you know, $2,000 a month into that particular investment bond and into that investment. So it creates a natural discipline for them. They're able to utilize um, that 125% rule to an extent um, and they're able to, to grow their investment over time. So it's a really handy way of doing it. In fact, through the you know 2021 financial year, we had $50 million just go through a regular savings plan, which was 40% growth um, on what we saw in the, the 2020 financial year. So we're seeing a lot more of our clients do that and make sure that they maximize that rule to some sort of extent. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a free 15-minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au. Yeah, and I think that's the consistency that I was talking about. So just having doing something consistently to to see that return at the end. And I find with clients, um, a lot of my clients that invest have actually only have done it for the first time. And as a financial advisor, it's our job to educate them on what different investments are and how they work and all the rest of it. But it's that motivation and that satisfaction of seeing the money growing because initially when someone sets it up they know that the money is going to grow but I've I normally notice after the first year they think wow like this actually is making money you know <laughs> and um my returns have gone up and I mean obviously there's no guarantee that's going to happen every year because no one has a crystal ball but you know when you actually see that it's actually working um I feel like people do get more motivated to decide to start putting more into something if they see that You're it's actually on. doing what it's supposed to be doing what on Michael and that that was the point I was making before when we were talking about my swimming career it's being action orientated and once you actually start doing you see progress you get more motivated to to do more um it's when you sort of sit on the sideline for too long procrastinating and anticipating doing something and think oh, I've got to wait for motivation first to start to in, to invest or to start to 
you know, focus on that sort of goal or get after that, that you know, um, sort of area that I want to achieve in where versus, okay, maybe I should actually just, you know, start to invest, see how it goes, um, get some confidence in there. Okay, great. That worked. That did what I thought it was going to do and what I was told it was going to do. Now I can feel confident to move to the next level. And and we often see that. We even see that with new financial advisors that haven't worked with investment bonds before. They'll start out using a certain cohort of their client base with some small investments. Then all of a sudden, you know, we see a, a million dollar bond um, come through from one of their larger clients. So, um, it, it's quite funny how much our business has, has grown over the years. I mean, if I look at the amount of inflows, money coming in compared to three and a half, four years ago, we do more over a quarter in the last quarter than what we were doing in an entire year after being in you know business for 13 years You know, um, at, at, back in 2017. So it's, it's quite remarkable um, how that, that, that whole sort of momentum works and, and getting confidence in something that you're doing. Yeah. And what I think is pretty cool as well, and again, for those that haven't even invested before, something that over time they will learn is that there are different types of investment options that the bond can be invested in. So you can have your money in different things. If somebody likes risk, if they don't like risk, if they've got particular ethical considerations, um, there are different options and um, even switching between investment options um, Mm -hmm. is possible and there's no capital gains tax that's paid as well. Um, Correct. And I've noticed that you've like, your product and um, you know the the space in general has really expanded over the years with so many different investment options and to suit different types of lifestyles. Absolutely, yeah. When I first joined the group, we had thirty three um, investment options. We took that to um, thirty seven, and then we've increased that today. It's it's at a total of um, fifty eight different strategies um, with sixty one total investment options. So some of those strategies um, can be income producing or can be. Um, so you can, you know, uh, a new fund that we launched this year is an equity income fund that's very, very tax effective that has a, a tax rate regardless of your marginal tax rate that sits at around 10% or under 10%. Um, and so so if you're looking to produce income or you just want, you know, capital growth and you don't necessarily want to generate income out of the investment, you can do that too. So we're offering up, you know, more products, more options for, for people to um, be able to invest in and, and obviously suit their needs. And, and to your point, Michael, just around, you know, investment switching, you know, obviously if your view of the market's changing, you think, you know, I was taking on a lot of risk. I was investing in global equities, had good growth the last three or four years. The market looks a little bit heated. Hey, I might move back over to fixed interest or I might have a smaller exposure to equities than what I had before. So you can really cut the investment portfolio any which way that you want to and obviously change that strategy over time. To your point, you're not going to incur a CGT liability as you change that investment strategy, which is obviously quite a significant and material plus. Um, and, and for us as a firm, the way we always look at it is we state we're investment agnostic. Um, we're not about sitting here and, and telling people where to invest or where to put their money. We provide a tax structure. Through that tax structure, we try and help clients maximize that tax arbitrage. But at the end of the day, it's between them and their financial advisor in terms of that underlying investment strategy. And we will always put more investment choice on the investment menu, depending on the amount of demand out there. And we've certainly built those themes over time. And to your point around responsible investing, obviously the thematic around that is quite significant now because you know people have gone through bushfires, we've gone through floods, we're in the middle you know of a pandemic for for a, you know a couple of years, and um, all of those challenging um, things that you know over time that you know we've been through, um, people go you know maybe if I'm going to leave this as part of an estate planning or for it's it's for a future purpose such as private school fees and I want to do you know, my savings around that tax effectively, 
I want to I want to invest in something that I know is going to be better for for the globe. It's going to be better for humanity, and and we provide those options on the investment menu as well. And in the last point I wanted to talk about, and this is again something which. To be honest with you, when I talk to clients, this is part of their motivation for looking at something like this, um, is the um, asset protection and the estate planning benefits of investment bonds. If we can, yeah, I guess start off on the asset protection side of things like, you know, being creditor protected or because, the, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way investment bonds work is it's as if the money's sitting in like, it's like its own trust or its own legal structure that's separate mm-hmm. to a person's personal assets like their house or their car or money in their bank account. That's correct. So when when you put the money into the, the structure, we're governed by APRA. So it goes into these things called benefit funds where the underlying investment option actually sits. And think of that as a trust structure for a life company. Um, so therefore, under the Bankruptcy Act, um, Section 1162D to be specific, if someone wants to read the, the Bankruptcy Act, investment bonds are protected. Um, so therefore, if you do fall into some form of financial hardship, um, not only do you, you receive protection around this particular investment, but you can start taking an income from this investment that is then tax-free and creditors can't touch that amount that's transferring from the investment bond that's going to your account each month to you know, satisfy, say, your living expenses. So from a creditor protection point of view, um, it is remarkable and, and in my view, um, second to none. Also, just what you touched on there, Michael, around estate planning. So you have binding nominations when it comes to investment bonds and we know... You know, the more money that people um, have, the more complexity often with estate planning and the more challenges that you'll have, uh, the more potential fracturing within a family unit that can take place if they feel like there's a bit of inequity in terms of the way that those beneficiaries, you know, receive those distributions. And, you know, a, a lot of people have situations where they might have a family, you know, grandparents got three kids, but out of those three kids, only two of them have kids. And they want to leave a little bit more where there's more grandchildren. But the third child that doesn't have children doesn't necessarily think that's fair. And you can cause a fracture in the family. Of course, there's blended families. And, you know, there's just, you know, people have specific reasons that they want to leave something to a beneficiary outside of a family. And an investment bond is a great structure to, to be able to do that. Unlike when it goes into probate, people challenge the will, the will. They can use the funds that sit within the estate to be able to fight one another and deplete those funds. When it comes to an investment bond, if you're leaving it to, to your next door neighbor, you can do that. You've got 100% binding nominations. Um, the, the money, once you you know provide us a copy with a death certificate, the money can be distributed out to that individual as fast as we can get it out of the fund manager. Um, doesn't matter whether you're a dependent or a non-dependent, it's tax-free, um, that distribution. So there's nothing to, to declare from a tax point of view. Um, and then that money's yours. If someone wants to challenge you, they have to actually put their hands in their own pocket, go out there and fund the litigation. Not one of these has ever been overturned, so there's no precedent in place around that. Um, so therefore, you know, that beneficiary feels pretty safe that that money is theirs and it's going to be theirs for, for good. And of course, anybody can challenge anybody when it comes to, to litigation. Um, however, this is a really, really effective tool, particularly in complex estates um, around estate planning. So, when you look at the three key benefits that you know people come uh, to, to Generation Life to look at investment bonds, obviously tax arbitrage, particularly if you're a high marginal tax paying individual, um, you've got estate planning. So if you've got a complex estate or it's just a very efficient and effective and a cost effective way to be able to transfer assets, um, this structure is second to none. And the third part, from a risk point of view, to know that this is credit protected um, is just something that provides you with a lot of reassurance in terms of your investment. Yeah, well, well summed up. And and also, you know, lastly, I'd just like to ask 
with your experience and with everything you've seen, you know, everything that you've experienced, I should say, um, as a professional swimmer, um, and even as, as a CEO of a company, what advice would you give to those people that, you know, they've got something they'd like to work towards, uh, whether it's something they're investing towards, like it could be their retirement or their children's future, or whether it's an occupation they want to pursue, or whether it's even if somebody currently has a business and they want to grow it to a certain point, what advice would you give that person around, you know, staying motivated and just staying true to what they actually want to work towards? Um, Firstly, just keep everything simple. I always think, um, you know, a simplistic approach towards things provide clarity. Clarity provides ease of execution. Um, So I think that is a very, very important part of achieving any goal. The, The second aspect to that is exposure. And what I mean by exposure, again, it's very simple is have your goals up on the wall. Write them down because when you write them down, you kind of validate them and you expose yourself to them. They're no longer just something that sits in your head. you almost got this accountability towards it and make sure you have it somewhere where you can see it every day. I put my goals up in the bathroom um, in terms of what I want to achieve and you feel like you own them a lot more. So that's the probably most you know simple, effective piece of advice I can give someone and look, when you're going through through a bad time, um, just start doing. If it's hard, if it's grinding, if you're not motivated that day, just start doing. Don't think about how hard, you know, getting through the next day is or next week is. Just think about what you've got to do within the next minute and start doing that. Then all of a sudden you get through that one, then you get through the next minute, then 10 minutes. And then, you know, you're kind of climbing that mountain and you turn around and you see how many stairs that you've gone up and, you know, it becomes quite rewarding then. And, and like we said before, that'll then start to drive the motivation on those really difficult and challenging days. But yeah, that's probably the best piece of advice I can give. And it's, you know, success is not um, complex. It's it's not out of reach of anybody. Um, it just takes a, a, a few simple behaviors and it just takes that consistency of every day and showing up. And then before you know it, you're much closer to your goals. Even when I was 13, my goal was to win an Olympic gold medal. That was honestly my goal, and I got laughed at by, by someone, and I'll never forget that. Um, but I put the steps in place. I thought, what what do I have to do as a 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 16-year-old? And I look at Kieran Perkins' best times, and I thought, well, I've got to beat those, don't I? And that was kind of – he was the world record holder and Olympic champion. And to give a bit of perspective on people, how far away I was from that end goal, it's a 30-lap race. I was five laps behind. <laughs> so he was lapping me several times. Um, in that event, but slowly, you know, you get from one step to the other and you meet that goal and you think, okay, I've done that one. It's a little bit easier to, to get to the next one. Then all of a sudden you have an opportunity to, to achieve that, that massive goal that you set in the first place. Yeah. Well, well said. And I think I could relate to even, I think you achieving those goals was infectious for me because I remember sitting around the television set with my parents. And back then, yes, we sat around television sets and yes, we sat around with our parents, um, you know, and yes, you know, and yes, there was just one TV in the house, but I just, I remember watching something like that. And, you know, not that at the time I was probably, I was too young to be following your journey, but at least just seeing somebody achieving something and doing it consistently and getting up there and, you know, holding a gold medal in the air, like it's, that in itself is infectious, you know, so it's, I really want to thank you so much for your time, Grant. Um, no, no worries. And, and you're spot on with that last point. Cause I, I mean, I'm no exception to that. I, I sat at home as a 14 year old watching, you know, and I, I don't think I've shared this too many times watching Kieran Perkins break the world record in 1994 for the men's 1500 meter free at the Commonwealth games. 
and he went a time of 14 minutes 41. You've got to be very clear on your goals. I know all the splits for that race, ironically enough. And I was watching it with my mum in, in the lounge room, as you said. And uh, and I turned around and I said to her, I said, oh, I'm going to break that world record one day. And she said, I know you will. And it was really funny because, you know, it was the first time they really felt like someone believed I could do it too. Um, so I had that, that self-belief and I honestly thought I could. But then... To have the right people around you to, to achieve your goals is just so important. And, um, you know, for them to, to believe in your ability and, and your, you know, purpose and motivation to exceed is, is just paramount to, to any sort of success. And fortunately enough, I, I did end up breaking that world record a, a few years later. When I say a few, I mean probably about seven, seven years later. So it took a bit of time. But again, it was, it was certainly worth all the effort. Yeah, I'm sure. And and I think, would you agree that it's those that don't believe in you that motivate you just as much as those that do? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. for me, it's, it's about- <laughs> yeah, I think it's the people there closest is. to you that you have the choice of bringing into your life that um, you got to make sure that they're supportive of your journey and anybody else that, um, you know, challenges you on goals. It's not usually because they think you can't do it. It's because they think they can't do it. So they therefore think, how can someone else do it? And um and that's to your point, Michael, you were saying before, like sitting around and watching people achieve these massive milestones or, or do these things that we didn't think were humanly possible is just so inspiring and so important for humanity. I mean, when you watch the Olympic Games and you watch Usain Bolt run nine and a half seconds, you think, wow, you know, like, wow, he, you know, his his effort seemed like nine seconds, but it was a lifetime of getting to that point. And, um, you know, I, I'm always a big believer that if someone else can do it, um, you can too. You've just got to have the the willingness and dedication to it and just, yeah, like I said, show up every day. That's so true. And with all my episodes, I like to finish off with a dad joke. Mm. Um, so and um, you've probably heard this before, but uh, we'll just go for it anyway. But yeah, um, what I'm did the dad. ocean say to the, <laughs> what did the ocean say to the beach? Oh, I don't know. What did, what did it say? Oh, nothing. It just waved. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I'm not even going to give yeah, you my and- pirate jokes. They're pathetic. Oh, do you have any you want to share? Or uh, how much does a, a uh, pirate pay per earring? No idea. A buccaneer. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel my twelve-year-old cringing in his room right now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. It, it honestly, I actually had a second one prepared because I thought you'd know the first one. Uh, but where do fish keep their money? Uh, good, good question. In, in riverbanks. Oh, of course they do. Of course they do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's. It, it's an art form. It's an art form. Let's just call it that. But um, thank <laughs> you so much start. again for your time, Grant. Honestly, it's been awesome. Our, again, our 52nd episode, I think we've done it. I, I couldn't have wanted to share it with anyone else. Um, it means so much. And again, I hope anyone listening to this has learned a lot and it has prompted them to achieve their goals or, or sorry, to start working towards achieving these goals that they've always had in their minds. Um, so again, thank you again. No worries. No, thanks so much for having me on. It's a very nice thing to say. No, it's an honor to, to do your one-year anniversary of you know kicking off and, and well done for the consistency of getting through 52. That's, uh, that's quite remarkable. Thank you. Let's see if we can hit 104, but we'll see how that goes. I'm sure you will. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> thanks for joining us on Sharing More Than The Sheets. Please make sure you subscribe to be updated with future episode releases and feel free to share this episode with any friends or family that you think it might benefit. Please visit us at sharingmorethanthesheets.com.au to submit questions or requests for future podcast topics. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a 15-minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au.